Welcome to Bridging the Potential, intergenerational conversations that change the world. This is Cassandra Rain, founding member of Living the Potential Network's Youth Advisory Council, with a question for you. What happens when you bridge the experience, education, and expertise of an elder with the curiosity, energy, and innate wisdom of a youth? It's simple. Everyone grows and the world changes for the better. One conversation, one connection, one collaboration at a time. Today's podcast is no different. Renee Beth connected me with Jeff Goebel, who is an environmentalist, an author, and world-renowned consultant. I think you will enjoy our conversation about the capacity we have to change the world. My favorite part of this podcast was when Jeff shared wisdom with me about the power of relationships and how we enhance our planet by embracing diversity. Hello, this is Renee Beth Poindexter, founder of Living the Potential Network and your host for today. After I wrote the book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World, I set out to find ways to create spaces where people could hear what the youth have to say. And that's what this podcast is all about. I love these conversations where after listening to a youth's dreams and concerns, we connect them with a mentor or an elder who has experience and wisdom to share and who is open to learning and receiving from the innovative spirit of the youth. It's reciprocal learning at its best. I always leave these conversations inspired and I think you will too. Today I have two fabulous guests. My mentor is Jeff Goebel. Jeff Goebel comes to us from New Mexico. He is a leading expert in helping individuals and communities attain their goals and remove obstacles that lie in the way. With over 30 years of national and international successes in consensus building, conflict resolution, and visioning for sustainable solutions. He's an award-winning consultant in private practice, and he's catalyzed positive change with everyone, from nonprofits to government agencies, multinational corporations, to small family ranchers. He has developed a highly effective program of respectful listening, listening visioning, and planning that attains long range and long lasting change through 100% consensus and engaged commitment of all parties. He's also authored a book. It's called One Thing You Can Do to Save the Earth. It's an every person's guide to reversing the impacts of changing climate in soil health, land management, and human dynamics. He comes to us on a small farm in, in New Mexico and, um, and great to have Jeff with us. And today he will be in conversation with Cassandra Funmaker, who is a high school senior currently coming to us from Wisconsin. She's an activist, creative environmentalist, and humanitarian. She is taking a gap year as she graduates from high school and is going to be traveling and connecting and listening to people. Her passion is really fighting for social peace. She's also working with Indigenous Voices with the School Indigenous Peoples Club out of her state in Wisconsin. It's great to have both of these people with us today. And I think you're going to see that this is quite a match. So let's see where the conversation goes. 
Jeff, I'd like to start with you on this conversation. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your journey? Good. Well, um, thank you for the opportunity, and I'm really glad to be um, connecting with Cassie again today. It's really it's a pleasure. Um, uh, let's see. I I uh, grew up. Uh, my dad was a professor in natural resources, and so that kind of got my background um, that oriented that way. And uh, he um, taught conservation classes, and and he stuck in my mind as this definition that conservation is the wise use of natural resources and so <laughs> it's just right there the dad would always say that stuff say that um so i when i i went to college got my bachelor's degree in natural resources and i started working with the u.s u.s department of agriculture with farmers and ranchers to, to help them take care of their land and um real passionate about that really cared um great people to work with um, but I was really disappointed with how slow land, uh, taking care of our land was going. And, um, and so I, I um, decided that I needed to figure out how to make it go faster, how to take care of it faster. And, uh, and so um, I thought first it was an economic problem. And then as I went along, I found that as the earth gets healthier, the economics get better. And so it wasn't that, that, that wasn't the issue. And so, um, so I said, okay, what else is it? And then as I come along in my life, and it probably was about 35 years ago, I had the awareness that, um, that environmental problems, in fact, all environmental problems are people problems. And so if you fix the people, you fix the environment. And so it's learning to, you know, my, my, my website, my email tag is um, about listening and it's learning to listen is, is really fundamental with all of this. And that's learning to listen to ourselves, learning to listen to other people, and also learning to listen to the earth and what the earth is teaching us and, and uh, empowering that. And so I've been working for years. Um, I've been on five continents, 28 countries, meeting all kinds of people, work with all different, you know, different types of cultures and, um, I've been able to help facilitate positive change in a lot of places. And uh, it's real rewarding it's, and it's lasting change. It's not just short-term, but it, it, it sticks with people and it, it makes a difference. So, um, so I'm real pleased about that. I, I am very concerned though that um, the United Nations gave us about nine more years um, before we move into catastrophic change. And that's not only with the climate, but also with losses of species because of the intricate web of life. And so I have a very, um, um, I have a very, uh, uh, you know, I, you know, young people, you know, like Cassie, I've got some grandchildren that are in their, you know, their single digit numbers first, like one and three and, you know, up to nine years old. And I just, you know, I, I, I really want to see what I can do to help make the earth better as I leave and whatnot, as I move on. Um, I was an Eagle Boy Scout, and we have sort of a story that when you come to a campsite, you want to leave it cleaner than when you got there. And that's not the case right now. And I'm really sad about that. So I, I want to see what we can do to facilitate the change. And 
it gives me a lot of hope for people like Cassie and, and others that I know, the enthusiasm, the determination, um, the commitment, the wisdom to make a difference. And so I'm really, um, I'm really glad that you're doing this work, um, Renee Beth. So thank you. Great. Well, Jeff, I've seen you in action um, in terms of <clears throat> working with social change issues and everything comes back to what you're saying is the environment problems are the people problems. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe you could tell a story about some of the biggest problems you've solved in terms of getting people to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, where, let's say, even when the youth are involved or when indigenous people are involved or farmers and ranchers, I mean, there's so many different groups that can't really see the bigger picture and somehow or another working with you, they come to 100% consensus. Yeah. Uh, environmental, indigenous, you know, all of it. Is there any particular story or two you'd like to share? Yeah, there's, you know, there's two that are really, um, I mean, there's been so many neat changes I've seen. Um, um, but, you know, the two big ones that I really, um, really affected me in my life, um, was working with um, the first uh, seven ethnic groups in Africa. And they were um, in Mali in West Africa and they were, um, they were in conflict with each other. They had, you know, a couple of years before I got there, 29 people got killed in the, in the villages because of um, um, some animals, got, cattle got onto some of the farmland and, and it broke out into a, a fight. Um, there are three, well, in the workshop, there's four languages involved because I, you know, unfortunately, you know, predominantly speak English. Um, French is the, dom is the official language of the country. The dominant language in the area was Bambra. And, um, and then Fulani, there was some, a small group of people that only spoke Fulani. So they had, you know, issues of, of communicating, which makes listening a little bit more difficult. Um, but so anyway, we came together and, and um, one of the stories I like to tell about that is the second workshop I was there and I did five over four years. The second workshop I was there, uh, this area had 80, 87%, 85% food insecurity. So meaning people were hungry through the year, um, you know, families and whatnot. And um, so I thought, well, let's, that's a scarcity issue. Let's, let's work on resolving that. And so when I got to a certain part in the workshop and what I like to do is up to that point, um, get people to understand how we behave in scarcity and how we behave in abundance. And then at the, and then just before I work in the scare, the a question I call the impossible question, um, I like to put people into a mental state of richness. Like what's the richness in your family? What's the richness in your, you know, your, your, the, the world, you know, your professional or your educational world? What's, what's the richness in that? So you start, you have a mind full of abundance in your mind, thinking about all the good things you have. And then um, at that point, so I did that with them. And then at that point, I had learned that um, I'd asked them, I said, because um, I was looking for something that was impossible for them to accomplish. And I'd asked them, um, could you grow five or 10% more food? And they said, we probably could. And I said, well, you probably should <laughs> and because you're hungry. I said, could you grow 20% more food? I thought that would be, you know, impossible. And they said, no, we probably could do that too. And it's like, geez. So I said, could you 
could you increase food production by 50%? And they said, oh, that's impossible. We couldn't do that. And so, and, and that's using their own resources. And so I'm not getting outside, you know, assistance and whatnot, because I can't afford that. So I, um, so at that point, I asked them and said, give me all the reasons why it is impossible, why you can't do that. And they said things like they only make $45 a year per person per capita in that area. They said that they had poor rains and poor soils. And they even said that they were lazy, that they didn't like to work too hard. So, um, and so once they developed that list, then I had them stop and take a look at the list. And I showed them that everything on that list was a belief system. And because you believe it, you cannot do better than what you're saying you, you can't do. So if you believe that $45 a year keeps you from growing more food, then you can't grow more food. And if you feel like you're poor soils, rain, laziness, you can't grow more food. And you can see the light bulbs coming on and they got, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, you know. And so the next question to ask is, is to acknowledge what the brain can't see, um, the impossibility. So I said, you say it like this, it's impossible. You acknowledge that part of the brain, you make that part of the brain happy. Yeah, so I started with these four ranches in uh, Texas and Hawaii, and particularly the one in Hawaii, and this is back in the 80s, 1980s. Um, and we started with a vision that was holistic, so social, cultural, economic, and ecologic. And, and, and it's the, the work that I do is what I call AND logic, A-N-D logic, which means we're going to do this and we're going to do this. It's not like either or. So we're going to do economics and we're going to do ecology, you know, and we're going to do social and we're going to do cultural, you know, we're going to do all of it. Um, and so, um, and that makes it a whole different puzzle to solve that you just agree that we're going to do all of it and then you do it, you know, instead of like, well, you know, fighting about what you can do. So anyway, what we did is the land was deteriorating. The animal health was not great. The finances were horrible. The, we had union cowboys on there and, and there's a lot of disgruntledness with there. Um, and the, we had Hawaiian activists that were actually, you know, really pissed off with the ranch and, and suing us and breaking lines, water lines, fences, et cetera. So that's what it was when I got there. And so when we started working together and we created this vision and I involved the activists and the union and the cowboys, all of them, and the community and the owners and all these people, I invited about 40 people and we created that common vision. And then we started working on that common vision. And it was absolutely amazing what happened in like within six months, everything changed. I mean, it happens that fast. If we, if, if we can learn to work with the earth, change can happen rapidly. It's amazing. It's just figuring out how to listen to the earth to figure out how to, you know, to work in harmony with it. So anyway, our, um, the land changed. I mean, there was people that had been coming to that part of the, of Hawaii for years. Um, and they noticed that the land went from a cream color to a green color. It actually changed colors in that time. And it wasn't a seasonal thing. It was just, you know, they always came same time of the year and the, the ranch changed colors in six months. The, um, the health of the animals got better. There's a, every time it would rain in that area, there's a red ring that comes because of all the soil that leaves the land. It stopped that we'd still got the rain, but the, 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 the ring stopped. There wasn't any runoff from the land. That's a good thing to see. Then also the, um, 
economics, we absolutely changed the financial situation. We went from losing three quarters of a million dollars a year to breaking even in one year's time, you know, rapid financial change on it. And then um, the um, cowboys, the union guys were ab absolutely, um, we were able to downsize for the financial thing. You know, we cut jobs, but we did it. I went out and I asked the cowboys, I said, if you were to do something else, and you're willing to do it, what would it be? And they gave me descriptions and I went out and I said, found jobs and I came back and said, okay, here's what I found. Anybody want to go? Well, half the staff left within six months time, you know, voluntarily, you know, and, and they had the job of their choice, you know, what they wanted and stuff. And then the, the other thing that was pretty cool is that the environment, the, the activists um, who've been attacking us came and asked and said, um, you know, we've been giving you guys hard time for all these years, but we never had a better answer. We just knew what we didn't want. And what you're doing is absolutely amazing. Could you come teach us to do what you're doing on the ranch? Which is pretty cool to see that shift in just six months. And I said, well, I'm not going to teach you, but I'm going to have the cowboys who you've been giving a hard time to for all these years. They will be your teachers. <laughs> and so it was pretty cool. So that was um, so anyway, the biodiversity piece, you know, we created an a lot more ecologic health with that. And so that's the sort of approach that I keep working with just two years ago here in New Mexico by consensus in the legislature, we passed a law called the Healthy Soil, um, the Healthy Soil Act. And it's a way to take care of our soil so we get the food nutrition back in the soil, um, the, the, the soil microbes that make food healthy and whatnot, to get water back in the ground, to get you know, the other species diversity that's important, to increase productivity of the land. All that sort of thing starts by what you do to the soil. So, and of course it pulls lots of carbon out of the atmosphere when it goes, you know, as the land gets healthier and more plants grow, you're starting to pour more carbon dioxide, it goes into the root systems and it feeds the soil and all the organisms in there. So stop, you know, get out of the chemical piece because it's pretty damaging on things. And uh, um, it, so, so all my life, that's the kinds of things that I've been working with. It's been really rewarding. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> I just, I have no words that makes so much sense. You know, it goes back to, I wrote down a quote that you said earlier in this podcast, you said, if you fix the people, you fix the environment. That is such a beautiful example of fixing the people, you know, getting them to get along and yeah. it just helps the world and it helps their yeah. money situation. It's incredible. Yeah. That is so yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's, it's really rewarding. It's pretty neat. And what's really fun is when you can do a workshop like that or whatever, and people drop from the facade, you know, this, this falseness that we have to down to be real people and they feel safe so they can be genuine. And that is so beautiful when people are in that genuine place. And that's where, you know, uh, Renee Beth talks about the potential of us. That's where our potential comes to when we really can move into that deeper level. And it happens when we feel safe. And, mm -hmm. and then that happens when we feel listened to and that we matter. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think just like the whole idea of feeling safe and feeling like you matter. I think the whole being genuine thing just comes naturally at that point. And in our society right now, it's kind of hard to naturally be genuine. Um, I have another question. Um, so talking about people who are genuine and people who are like naturally genuine, do you have anybody who you look up to? who kind of taught you how to be genuine and how to be such an inspirational person? Yeah. Well, you know, like I said earlier, like everybody, you know, um, everybody's a teacher. Um, But also, too, um, uh, a friend of mine, real deep friend, uh, Bob Chadwick, is somebody I learned a lot from and uh, was a mentor for me. He passed away a few years ago, but... um, he shared a lot with me about um, that's really helped me grow. And um, I had a lot of healing to do. I had a lot of trauma when I was a young person. And so, um, and that created patterns that weren't healthy for me over my life. And I saw the patterns, but I don't know how to get off of it. But the work that I do has been that journey of self-discovery and consciousness and awareness. And, and then that, you know, the healing through that and then making different choices, becoming conscious how to make better and different choices for myself. So he had a lot to do with my, my growth there. And also to my friend, Bob, one of his favorite sayings that when I first learned it, you know, when he first told me, I thought it was crazy. And that's conflict is my friend. So conflict is, gives us gifts. It helps us grow and helps us learn. So I now understand it and I now embrace it and I'm grateful for conflict, but, uh, when he said it, I thought he was crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, that is crazy. I would not have thought of that myself in a million years. And I think it is so cool to have mentors like you and like uh, your friend. Um, yeah. Um, just a second. One of the things, could I add something, you know, Cassie? <laughs> is um, the idea of what Jeff just shared about having a troublesome childhood in many ways, looking back on it, it was the catalyst for who he was becoming as a mentor, a facilitator, an agent for social change, not afraid of conflict, going into so many different arenas where it appeared impossible. And so he was able to embrace impossible in his own life, you know? So I'm just curious when you think about what the youth are going through today with the pandemic and, um, you know, the the systems not working, you know, they haven't been working for a long time, but now it's becoming even more obvious they're not working. Um, And the youth, many youth are are traumatized and and they, and they, they don't have hope. So when you hear Jeff speaking about how he, first of all, found ways to personally improve by finding a mentor and then taking what he learned and bringing it into a larger scale, because, you know, it's almost like bringing who you are to what you do. It's like there's a lot of change agents out there. They're trying to fix the world, but they haven't done the internal inner work. So there's that connection. Do you feel that when he's talking about it, he's talking about his inner work, but then he's talking about, he's not afraid of these conflicts and he gets people to share their truth. What do you think, you know, when you think about the youth and the stories that you're seeing, and I think there's a story that Jeff can share about how the youth were empowered to solve a problem, but how would you enroll Jeff to solve issues that you see in your world there in Wisconsin? 
Huh. Well, I would start with communication. Uh, I think communication is always key when it comes to any sort of conflict. And the idea of embracing conflict and using it to your advantage, that is something that I just learned today. That is something that I have really never thought about before. And this idea is so fascinating. And I just want to take some time to play with it. Um, I really... I really don't know if I'm being honest. I, sure. I just like to, I just love to hear it, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. So remember the story about, um, I think the story that Jeff has to share about working with the tribal youth who, um, you know, they didn't really think they could make a difference. And uh, Jeff, you tell that story because I think that's a bridge to what's the message in that story that we could apply to youth that are going, what can I do? You know, you know that story I'm talking about? Yes, I do, of course, yeah. yeah. But just first, before I say that, um, another person that influenced me was a guy named Tom Crum. And he wrote a book called The Magic of Conflict. And he's an Aikido martial arts specialist. And he, it's very, it's, he's got some good videos, they're old, but um, they really, they really influenced my way of seeing that conflict doesn't have to be something where we harm each other, where we actually can come from, you know, some opposing force and move it gently to a good place. And that's, so that was very influential is, and to be able to see the metaphor of that with, with the keto, with the movements and whatnot was really good. So that book, um, and if you never see, uh, I looked, I Googled it actually yesterday because I talked to somebody about it. Um, you can see that movement with, you know, some of that work. It's beautiful. Anyway, um, and, and Crum is spelled with two M's, C-R-E-M-M. So C-R-U-M-M, sorry, C-R-U-M-M, but Tom Crum. But anyway, great guy. Anyway, and he worked with John Denver and he worked with some of the nuclear issues um, back with Soviet Union, the United States back at that time. Anyway, um, yeah, the, the story that Renee was talking about is I was working with, um, when I first got that job at the Colville Tribe, uh, I had only been there about a month and I learned that they have a summer intern program with high school kids. And it was considered really more of a babysitting program instead of something of real value. And um, I like working with young people and I believe, you know, really believe in young people. And, um, and so um, I asked my boss if I could work with them. He said, don't waste your time, you know, because, you know, you got important things to do here. And it's like, <laughs> these young people, I mean, what, what, what is it, you know, if we don't, you know, who are we doing this work for, you know? And it's like, so it's like, you know, so anyway, that was a side thing. But um, so I, I was able to convince him finally, reluctantly to uh, have these five kids work with me for about two weeks. And so the first part of the week, I talked about creating that holistic vision, that, that idea of um, um, the social, cultural, economic, ecologic sort of concept of a future, you know, of what you'd like to produce, a goal, the power of a goal, a vision. And, um, and so that's, I did that in the first couple of days of the week. And then on Thursday um, of the first week, I asked of the two weeks I had with them, I asked the kids, I said, all right, I said, we've been talking about this um, you know, so, so um, I said, I asked him, yeah, I asked him, I said, how do you feel about the reservation? You know, this is, you know, this home of yours. And they say, we love this place. This is, this is home for us. This is our people. This is our land, you know? 
And, um, and I said, that good. I said, okay. And said, how do you feel about the future of your home, of your, of your reservation? And they said, we don't have much hope. We don't feel really good about where things are going. And um, we don't see really good leadership and, you know, a lot of fighting and stuff. And so I said, well, I said, what are you guys going to do about it? You know, high school kids go, what do you mean? What are we going to do about it? You know, we're high school kids. And I said, well, this is your reservation, right? Your members here, right? Yeah, they said, and I said, well, you're, this is, and then you got the most to lose. This is your future. So the kids said, you know, what are we going to, what can we do about it? And I said, well, I said, you guys are tribal members. This is your land. You have more to lose than anybody because you got the most time ahead of you. We talked about visioning this week and the power of that. I said, what if you, do you think the tribe's got a vision, you know, holistic vision? And they said, no, we, we don't think they do. And I said, well, why don't you create it? Why don't you do it? And I said, here's your assignment. Uh, this is Thursday of the first week You're with me two weeks. So tomorrow morning when you come in, I want you to give me a plan of what you're going to do to create this vision that's holistic um, and representative of, of the tribe. Uh, there's 12 bands of people in three language groups there. So it's a very diverse group of people anyway. And um, so I said, you come in and as soon as you uh, convince me that you've got a good plan, you're free to go for the day. And uh, so they came in at eight o'clock and after one hour, <laughs> they convinced me they had an amazing plan of how to do the, you know, how to get the, create this goal. So, um, so I let them go at nine o'clock. And of course I got chewed out for letting these guys go at nine o'clock, but they accomplished the task. Well, anyway, they went to work on it. And I'll bet you they worked over the weekend on it because they were so enthused about it. But on Tuesday afternoon, they had created this beautiful one-page vision for the tribe and uh, for the future. And so I had made a commitment to them that I would get that vision with them in front of important people at the tribe. So on Wednesday, I had them get in front of the elders and they shared the vision with the council of elders and the elders, again, they just were so moved by that. And so it was, it, you know, brought hope to them for the future. And um, then on the next day, I, I brought them to the business council, the decision makers, and, um, and they kind of puffed up with pride and said, look at, you know, how smart our kids are and whatnot, you know, and it's an amazing vision. And then, and what they had done to do this is they had, they had selected a hundred uh, tribal leaders, um, including young people, so 100 tribal leaders, and they interviewed as many as they could. They interviewed 85 of them and put together this one page from, from those 85 people in that short period of time. And then, um, so then on the last day, I took them to my department, which was the Natural Resource Department, and shared it with our managers. And then we actually used that to guide us for the next few years um, in terms of decision making, which was absolutely amazing what happened in terms of outcomes as a result of moving toward that de desired outcomes. I mean, for example, we doubled the land treatment and we did it to a higher environmental and cultural standard. And we cut a million dollars out of a $17 million budget. And we didn't have to cut the million dollars, but that, that vision said, you know, we were looking now at the whole tribe's well-being, not just each of the departments. And it was in the best interest that if we save money, that could be used somewhere else or could be invested in the future. And so if we didn't have to spend the money, 
why do it? And so we were, you know, so it was absolutely remarkable. But these five kids set the set the direction. And I have to tell you, one of them came back to work with me the next year. And, um, you know, because they got to choose which where, 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 where they wanted to work. So one of them wanted to work with me for the whole summer. And so I said, well, what would you like to do this year? She was a uh, this was her senior year. Well, this is between junior and senior year. She said, you know, what would you like to do? And there had just been the first um, first uh, Earth Summit, Youth Earth Summit um, that 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 spring, and so she said, I'd like to I'd like to put together host the first Native American Youth Summit, you know, in the country. Um, and um, so I said, well, I said that's great. I said. Um, um, if you're going to do it, why just do it for here at the tribe? Why not do it for the whole country? You know, bring all the kids, Native American youth that can come to be part of it. She said, really? You know, I said, well, why not? I mean, it's going to be as hard to plan, you know, a small one as it is going to be to plan a big one. And so, um, and she asked, do, you, do I think she could do it? And I said, no, let me ask you this. Do you think you can do it? And she said, I think I can. And so, um, so I matched her up with somebody else and one of the um, administrative assistants at the tribe to help us, um, to help coordinate uh, logistics. Anyway, um, nine months later, she was at Ocean Shores, Washington State with 200 native kids from around the United States um, doing this first Native American Earth, uh, Earth Summit. It was just really cool. So the power of people, it's pretty, and the power of young people is absolutely amazing. That's awesome. I love that. You know, it's like whatever you think it's impossible to do. So Cassie, you know, you're a visionary social change maker yourself. Yes. So there's probably some words of wisdom. Um, I'm just noticing you might, if you have a comment on what Jeff said, and then we'll move into um, what Jeff's gotten from today. So any comment on what he just shared about the five kids in five weeks and <laughs> who went from, I don't think I can make a difference to shifting the whole tribe. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that is such an amazing story. Uh, you don't hear many uplifting stories about Indigenous youth. It's usually bad stuff. We can't graduate, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's really cool to know that somebody out there that's my age and of my demographic was able to make such beautiful, big, radical changes. It's really inspiring uh, just to me as an Indigenous youth. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Jeff, this is, you know, Jeff Goble and Cassie Funbaker, this conversation could go on a lot longer, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to ask you, Jeff, um, based on this conversation that you've just had with Cassie, was there anything that showed up for you that touched, moved, and inspired you um, from a perspective that you didn't have before this conversation? Anything that's come in because of your connection with Cassie that you'd like to speak to? Some well, yeah, I'll just well, I'll just say you know I have to say I cheated a little bit because um, I got to meet her last week and um, and I just you know so I find Cassie I find you um, I you give me hope for the future and, um, and you have um, a good deep sense of wisdom. You know, I can see that in you. And, um, 
And so I just have a lot of hope about where things are going to move. And I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing. So it's really, really good. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. So Cassie, I would love to ask you, you know, Jeff shared a lot of stories. Was there anything that affirmed for you or confirmed or empowered you? What are some of your takeaways as a result of this conversation today? Yeah, well, just bringing it back to the theme of embracing conflict. That is something that I think will stick with me for a long time. I, yeah, like I said, I haven't thought about it before. It's so cool. And just hearing the stories about you helping people by embracing their differences, it's just so powerful. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Well, I've got several takeaways, Jeff, every time, you know, I included Jeff in my book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World. He has this whole chapter on regenerative resources and how he does what he does. Um, he's definitely, he's been on several boards and there's this connection between soil health. You know, most people, when they're thinking about environmental change, they're thinking about water, you know, they're not seeing the impact of soil. Um, and your stories, Jeff, just uh, the answers are there. It's like no matter what space we go to as we embrace conflict, if you get people listening and talking and you ask them, what do you want? <laughs> Most people are so focused on what they don't want. So I love listening to your process on how you get the conversation going, but in these different groups that are like butting heads, um, that you also um, create safety and a place of belonging. And even the people that are normally on the edges that are around the room, by the end of the time they're working with you, they're leaning in. And people start to see that they're more connected than separate. So to me, when I listen to you, going back to your original statement, environmental problems are really people problems. And so you give me hope for the future on the way in which we say, our personal transformation, each one of us, and then who we are in relationship with each other. And then how do we, how do we co-create over the next nine years, let's say, a better world. We can take what some people would say is impossible and create something amazing because of the stories that you share. I'm so impressed. And I'm so excited about you being on our panel. Both Cassie and um, Jeff are on our Food is Life panel. Uh, for a two-day event that's just in the morning, um, April 10th, uh, from 9, 9 a.m. till noon, uh, Pacific Standard Time, and then Sunday, 9 a.m. Uh, to noon, Pacific Standard Time, April 10th and 11th. We're going to have both of these people on a panel where youth and specialty knowledge experts are sharing knowledge about what do you want to create? And Jeff, it's going to be such a pleasure to have you there because I know solutions will emerge that each person will take away and have more hope and possibility in their life than they have before. So before we go, Jeff, could you tell people where they could, you know, where they could go to find more information about you and your work? Yeah, the simple way is um, my website is www.aboutlistening.com. So one word about listening. Dot com. And that's, you know, it really is about, that's what it's all about, is about learning to listen to ourself, which is that inner journey to heal ourselves and to, to, to become our best 
you know, what I call a human becoming. And then, then the idea of listening to others and the value that they add to us, the richness they add to us, especially people that are different than us. And then the other um, part is listening to the earth and listening to what it tells us. And it, it, it's wise. You know, I go out and talk to my weeds all the time and ask them why they're here and what they're offering. And they tell me. You know, so, yeah. Absolutely. I know. I, I understand nature has a lot to say if we're listening and your work is powerful. So I want to thank our guests today. It was Jeff Goble and Cassie Funbaker. And today's conversation was just jam-packed with wisdom. And I wonder, you listeners out there, what you're taking away from this conversation. What has enlightened or empowered you? I want to thank you for tuning in today. And I'm leaving inspired and looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and will join us for the next Bridging the Potential podcast. If you are interested in what we are doing here at Living the Potential Network, please visit our website, www.livingthepotential.com, and check out the first two chapters of Renee Beth's book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World. Till next time.